I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and it's the mellow chilly autumn to my long hot summer. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. <laughs> Justin, um, what time do you call this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 15 minutes late. Many apologies. I know I'm normally late, but this one was a, a cock up on my behalf. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you say you're normally late anyway. I, I was looking earlier, Justin, I think we've done... Something like 330 episodes of the second tier now. That's on the back for us. But how many of those episodes do you reckon you've been late for? It depends how we define late. If it's two or three minutes, then the vast majority. But if it's like it has been this uh, today, 15 minutes, then not many. Let's say, let's say five minutes is the threshold. I would say around 70%. But time is a, <laughs> time is a concept, Ryan. Time is a concept, is a made-up thing. I may remind the listener, this is the same guy who also turns up late to Derby County games. So he clearly has absolutely no perception of punctuality at all. Are you mm-hmm. late to everything? Um, yes and no. I'm not normally late to my uh, gym classes. I'm usually on time for those. Is, is it because you care about them more? No, I just, you, people look at you, they turn around and look at you if you turn up late for those, um, and it's really embarrassing, so I'd rather not, rather not have that on a Note daily basis. Self. I need to give you a glare when you enter the room <laughs> and you're late ever. Uh, but welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is a part one of a part tour uh, where we're ranking the summer transfer business of all 24 clubs in the championship. In this show, we'll go through the 12 teams who we've deemed not to have had the best of windows. Transfer windows closed down. We've had a few weeks to let it all sink in, Justin, let it digest. And now seems like the perfect time to judge them all, Justin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a um, Obviously, you've got players who have now settled. Um, you've got players who have maybe hit the ground running or have taken a little bit longer to yeah to get going um essentially and as well as that it's yeah as you say it's, it's just a really good time to assess them now they've had at least a month to to, to bed into their new teams yeah and we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days before finishing off with a good old game of diddy or didn't he but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200 percent sports deposit bonus of up to two 
hundred pounds. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. Eighteen plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fans Bet Responsible Gambling Tools. So, a quick reminder: the way we've made this list is it's the same way we make all of our lists here on the second tier. We each make a table and then merge them together and that's exactly what we've done here with interesting results so we'll start off with the team we've got bottom justin the team we think have had the worst transfer window in the championship this summer and that's huddersfield town for me i think huddersfield are the only championship team who you can definitively say have had a bad window yeah it's hard to it's hard to make a case for having a good window if you look at the players that they lost to start with, to lose Toffolo and O'Brien, whether you think they're important or not, they are massive, massive players for for Huddersfield. Um, even even Pippa uh, at right back as well. They didn't didn't replace him until late in late in the window. So yeah, it's it's really hard to make a case for them. And not only that, um, they needed to strengthen in the summer. They already had a relatively small squad under Corbyn last season. There's argument to say that they overachieved with the balance of the squad they had last season. Um, a playoff final was not miraculous, but it was really good work from Corbrand to squeeze every ounce of quality out of the squad last season. But if they were going to improve upon that, or at least be as competitive, they needed to add to that team, that existing team they had last season. They didn't do that. Um, and not only that, they also lost some key players as well. So it's hard to make a case for them for having a good transfer window. Well, you didn't even mention the loan players they had, Justin. Exactly. You lose Levi Colwell and Daniel Sonani. Both were quality for Huddersfield last season. And O'Brien in particular gave Huddersfield so much control in games that has been completely lost this season so far. And then Toffolo was obviously the best left wing back in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those players who we've mentioned there have essentially been replaced with League One players. Now, some of those might come good eventually, but it's a big ask to provide the effectiveness that any of those previously mentioned players did. Jack Radoni is the one for me who I think could be a very handy player in the long term. Maybe one of the others may end up being a handy player for Huddersfield too. But it's not been a good window for Huddersfield. And that's the main reason why us and many other championship pundits have them down as potential league, uh, potential relegation battlers mm-hmm. this season. I mean, so far we've seen that be in the case um, and if I was running a championship club if I was the sporting director or director of football at a championship club I say it's just in choking on something over there I would be all about selling your best players and then reinvesting that money back into the squad Huddersfield haven't done that they've sold all their best players and not replaced them not how you run a football club is it Justin if you've stopped choking no, you're Spartan. It's not how you run a football club. Um, it's not how you uh, create a sustainable, um, su- su- sustainably compet- competitive team either. And they have made some good signings. I think Nakayuma is a good pickup. Um, and as you said, the likes of Rodoni, um, Simpson, and Kasuma are, are, are good signings, but they are for the long term. And I think Michael Helix is a good signing as well, but not sure they needed to invest in another centre back. Um, they needed another central midfielder they needed another attacker to support Danny Ward Conor Mahoney and Will Boyle for example aren't getting game time um, they just seem like very weird signings um, Conor Mahoney just seems to be scoring corners for the B team at the moment it's, it's yeah I did it, see that they, yeah it's, it's, it's quite scored I think he scored three now um, but yeah they're, they're just 
yeah, strange signings and it's going to be a difficult season for Huddersfield, but hopefully the likes of Kasumu and Simpson can, can step in and Rodoni as well and be the players need them to be. Who have we got 23rd, Justin? We've got Preston and there's no surprise really, or it might be a surprise actually, because of they you know, they did bring in some good players, the likes of Robbie Brady and Freddie Woodman. Um, but Ryan Lowe needed backing this summer, didn't he? And he didn't get that. And it's a massive shame because we're seeing the fruits of his labour, I think. Um, we're seeing how good of a coach he can be. He's, he's, he's got a team that are creating chances, but he hasn't got the quality of player to be putting those chances away consistently. And unfortunately, it's having a major impact on the playing team. Troy Parrott looks out of his depth at championship level once again. Had the same at Millwall a couple of seasons ago. And he's not really settled the way I thought he would um, after his loan spell at um, MK Dons last season. And Ben Woodburn, for example, untried at championship level as well. So, yeah, for me, Ryan Lowe needed backing. He didn't get it. And that's why we've got Preston at 23rd. Yeah, they've long been a club who haven't given enough backing to their coaches in the transfer window, haven't they? And unfortunately, I fear it's happening again. And I was making this point in Sunday's episode. Preston are very good at signing good players. Players who aren't amazing, but also very capable of playing at this level. Mm-hmm. There's the odd exception here and there, but by and large, that's how their business goes. And that's why Preston have been a mid-table side now for many years. The highlights of this window have been Freddie Woodman in goal, who's been very good so far. Mm-hmm. Robbie Brady's been handy. And Man United Loney Alvaro Fernandez has got fans very excited, but he hasn't played enough yet for an accurate verdict of how good a player he actually is. So it's not bad, but it's not exactly a game-changing window, is it? The only significant, other significant signing they made is Troy Parrott up front, but unfortunately he's really struggled so far. So I think the bottom line here is with Preston, just not enough business done, and that's why it's difficult to see them pulling up any trees this season. They've also kept Emil Reese, despite interest from Middlesbrough. However, based on his form so far, maybe they wish they would have sold him. So, <laughs> yeah, it... It's just another so-so window for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's a frustrating one because Alex Neil. there's a period um, under Alex Neil where the club probably just needed to chuck a little bit of money um, yeah, towards just, the Just forward. that little bit more, Justin, didn't they? They had yeah. Pearson, Brown, Johnson in the form of their lives. Mm-hmm. If they had that little bit more, namely exactly. a striker at the time, yeah, yeah. it could have taken them to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. They just need that little, that little push just to bridge that gap from them being a mid-table top-half team to a playoff contender, because they threatened, but they never really were bona fide contenders. And I fear that's going to happen with Ryan Lowe. And unfortunately, I think Ryan Lowe will have the uh, um, the mindset of he'll probably leave before it gets to that point, or he'll get poached before it gets to that point. Because Alex Neil could have gone to Stoke, for example, while he was at Preston. He didn't. He stayed. And unfortunately, probably outstayed his welcome in the end. But that's only because the squad got stale. Um, it needs freshening up. And when we say investing in the squad, we're not saying chuck five, ten million pounds at it. There's a lot of really good free agents, for example, available this um, this summer. And then and loans on as well. Preston haven't really been interested in <laughs> in adding to the squad, which has been quite bizarre. But Ryan Lowe, if we're going to see his team peak, it needs Ryan Lowe players. Is essentially what we're saying. In 22nd, we've got Blackpool. And Blackpool are another side who were very quiet in the summer. Pretty much the only signing who's joined on a permanent basis is Dominic Thompson, who's come from Brentford. 
The saving grace for them in terms of this list is really the loan signings they've made, all of whom are very exciting in their own right. Charlie Patino is very highly rated at Arsenal. Theo Corbineau from Wolves has looked dangerous. Ian Pervader's a tricky little player from what we've seen from him in the past at Leeds and Blackburn. And Lewis Fiorini and Reese Williams have also come in from Man City and Liverpool respectively. Any of them could end up being very good for Blackpool, but the risk with young players is they also might not, Justin. Yeah, I, it was quite. I guess it was quite difficult to place Blackpool in in some senses because I think Appleton's very good at working with young players. What he did at Lincoln City with, with the likes of Morgan Rogers, Brennan Johnson, for example, did some really good things. Got a lot out of them, and Fiorini as well. Got a lot out of them, and um, and they were yeah they were they were very competent. They were very good, uh, and Lincoln challenged for the playoffs up until, up until last season anyway. Um, so it's yeah, it's difficult to place them. If 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 these loan signings do come good, and, and if we record an episode like this, say in March, um, then Blackpool will be placed a lot higher. But they do present a little bit of a risk, and that risk is whether they come good or not. And as well as that, next season there's a big loan player hole, isn't there? There's a big drain of quality, and obviously Josh Bold is not gone, but they do have that money to to reinvest in the squad if that's a possibility. I think also losing Richard Keogh is. Um, is a bit of a blow because of his experience and he was well liked by Blackpool supporters and he was quite consistent last season alongside Ekpeteta as well. So I think that's a blow. Although I do think Zach Emerson, I think that's a coup. Although he's only 18, he probably won't get much game time. I think bringing him in from Brighton was um, yeah, a shrewd move. Well, Blackpool have also looked quite leaky at the back, haven't they, so far? Mm. So maybe someone like Richard Keogh could have sorted that out. Um, they've also lost Josh Bowler, which I can't remember if I mentioned that or not. That was expected to happen at some point, but, mm. you know, does that it's count? It's a blow. It's a, it's a blow, isn't it? Yeah. Um, any Preston fans who are wondering why we have Blackpool above them, I think it's just because these players have more potential to be big players for Blackpool this season than Preston's do. Simple as that, really. Um, in 21st, we've got Wigan Athletic. Now, on the face of it, you'd have looked at what Wigan did over the summer and thought, I'm not sure that's going to be good enough. But when you consider they've just come up from League One... Um, they're they're actually doing better than I think you would have expected considering the business they did because it's been a steady start, hasn't it? And the lack of business hasn't actually affected them too much. Mm. Having said that, their most used 11 doesn't feature any new signings. That's why I actually had them second bottom in my personal list. The players they brought in are seemingly just fleshing out the squad and they're sticking with the squad that got them promoted last season. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not obviously going to see you rank very highly on this list, Justin. Yeah, I think the, all, the purpose of this list is to discuss how, how much their squad improves, how much the squad is improved by the, the transfers that are brought in, obviously, because Wigan left it late. Although they did make some good signings towards the end of the window, it's not improved too much. And I think that's reflected in in their average starting eleven under, under Richardson. So, yeah, although there are players that they brought in that I do like, I think Anthony Scully is a really good addition. Um, and I'm surprised he wasn't linked with more clubs. Again, maybe a Preston could have gone in for a player like him. He's, he's, he's got um, a very good record at League One level, um, time to develop as well. And he's good, at, he's good from set of pieces. I think Ryan Niambe was a, a surprise pickup. I expected him to, I think Middlesbrough were linked with him. So I expect him to go to a team who were expected to compete to get into the top six. Um but that wasn't to be the, uh, the case. And I think Ashley Fletcher as well is a good signing and Nathan Broadhead adds depth. So they've added depth, not necessarily improving their first team, but they've added some really good depth into their into their side, which 
is what Wigan wanted to do. I think I think that's a good strategy for them. It's not one we get often from League One teams. Usually League One teams not panic, but they try and bring in some championship experience. And they've done that, but they also boast quite a lot already. So yeah, not needed to add too much there. Yeah, I don't really have much too much to add. The only thing I would say, Scully got double figures last in his last two seasons for Lincoln and he's only 23 years old so he could be one to keep an eye on apart from that Nathan Broadhead is coming on loan Sunderland fans were very keen to get him back um, after he was with them last season on loan Ashley Fletcher could be a good signing but we haven't really seen it at this level for a long time have we so yeah it's just about adding depth for Wigan and that may prove to be more important in the long term as opposed to what we've seen so far who have we got in 20th Justin? got Coventry City and it wasn't until actually looking at their transfer record this summer that I was surprised at how poor it was um, and I think the likes of Casey Palmer I think that's a good signing but it does represent a risk because no manager managed to get any consistency out of him for a long time. Um, Callum Doyle and Jonathan Panzo I think are good squad additions but I think that the loss of Dominic Hyam could be significant. The squad needed adding to um, if it was going to be as competitive as it was last season because we saw Coventry fall away and I think that's down to the, the quality of the squad depth that they've got. They just didn't have it and yeah, I think Coventry fans recognised that. Although it was a good finish last season, it could have been a lot better had they had the the, the squad to, to compete. But I think the the biggest thing here is obviously Dom, Dom Heim leaving late in the window and not being replaced is an issue. But the likes of Jordan Shipley and Jody Jones, squad players who left but they weren't replaced. I think that's really strange. Um, and I read a report suggesting Coventry were trying to sell Callum O'Hare late in the transfer window to bring in money to the club. Whether that was to invest, reinvest into the squad, I, I'm not sure. But this squad needed at least three first-team additions into it. Didn't get it. And that's perhaps why they're not bouncing back from a poor run of form so far this season. Yeah, I'd say the business this summer has been strange. Would you agree with that? I think that's a good a good word to use for them. Yeah, really yeah. good word, actually. Yeah, just because the squad needed depth and, if anything, has less depth than it did before. Yeah. So I think Coventry are another one who have maybe got somewhat weaker over the summer. I mean, losing Dom Heim is just such a strange decision. They have got Callum O'Doyle and Jonathan Panzo, two players who are still young and could end up being good players, but it's still you have still got two young lads here and trying to ask trying to ask them to do what Dom Hyam did last season I think it is quite a big ask mm-hmm. and apart from that the only other notable permanent signing they made was Casey Palmer which is I think it's just a bit mad Justin just because of how little he's done in the past unfortunately so yeah. I think other teams have got better while Coventry have stayed the same if not got slightly worse so that's why we've got them so low. I think the only highlight for them really was keeping their key players, like the likes of Jokerez and O'Hare. Um, and that's the main reason why they're higher than other teams on this list. But overall, it's just been a very meh and strange window for them, hasn't it? Um, 19th, we've got Watford. Now, Justin Peach, you had Watford bottom of your <laughs> table. I think you can take the lead on this one, JP. I think when you lose Emmanuel Dennis and other key players and they're not replaced fairly quickly or there's not a plan to replace them fairly quickly I think it's um, I think it's a little bit of a worry I think Keenan Davis is a good signing for example but that's really about it 
Um, I think Rob Edwards needed a similar summer that Burnley have gone through where the squad needed completely refreshing because a team who goes stale or as stale as Watford did last season tells me they don't have the right personalities in that team um, and they need shipping out. And yeah, quite a few have left. They have brought in a fair bit of money, but it's got to a point where even um, Hassan Kamara was sold and loaned back to the club by a um, by a sister club to to get that money back into back into the club, which um, which tells me that there just isn't enough money to go around spare because of FFP to reinvest in the squad, and I think that's that's why they haven't been able to um, hit the ground running under Rob Edwards. It's because he's essentially got square pegs for round holes. Um, and as I say, that the squad is is, is aging. Dan Gosling, Tom Cleverley, Craig Cathcart, <laughs> Cabaselli as well. Um, there's a lot of players there that have been there a long time who probably needed moving out the door a couple of seasons ago. That wasn't the case. I think the jury's out on the likes of Ray Menage, um, Bayo, Gaspar. But you do ask the question of, could that money have been better invested into the team? I think it could have been. Has Rob Edwards had much influence on the tra- uh, signings into the club? I don't think he has. And I think that's quite telling. Well, I don't think it's been that bad that it's been the worst window in the Championship. I think there are obvious gaps in this team. They're sorely missing a ball-playing midfielder and a right-back, possibly even a centre-half or two. Failing to fill those gaps, admittedly, could end up costing them promotion, but they'll still be strong. They've managed to keep hold of Ishmael Assar and Jao Pedro, which, in the long term, some may argue they should be sold, but this season it's obviously very handy because they're two of the best players in the Championship, for crying out loud. Keenan Davis is a great player in the Championship. We saw that with Forrest last season. Hamza, Cham- Hamza Chowdhury is a very good sign in at championship level too. Courtney Hawes is handy and a couple of the other new lads have looked good enough. So I'd say them having the worst window in the championship is a bit dramatic. Of course, <laughs> it's it's not been a great window. It's not been as good as some of the other teams looking to get promoted. But I don't think it's been the worst out of every single team in the division, Justin. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I just I'm not seeing a Watford team reflecting that of Rob Edwards whereas with Burnley I'm seeing a Burnley side reflecting that of Vincent Kompany players have been brought into play side of play whereas Rob Edwards has had to make do with 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 players who suffered relegation last season almost embarrassingly they were not competitive for large portions of the last season um and he could well go the way of many other Watford managers um he needed black he needed backing a lot of Watford fans said he needed backing it never happened um, like Kiko Firmenia, for example, very good right wing back. Would have been very nice to see him in this system under Rob Edwards. But he's, he goes back to Spain and Mario Gaspar, who is a bit limited in his play, comes in, in uh, instead of him. It's just It was just a bit odd. Um, and as I say, they, they've got a lot of depth up front, but not a lot of quality in central midfield. I just There's just so many question marks for me, and I think it could have been a lot better for Watford, and it wasn't, and that's why I had them bottom. Now, I'm not going to disagree with a lot of what you said there, Justin. I don't think this side has been built with Rob Edwards's style of play in mind. As we say, a midfielder, that why they've got two you know, physical lads in midfield, I don't know, mm-hmm. because it just doesn't make any sense. We're seeing that with Watford struggling to break teams down. And then the right-back situation, you've got a perfectly good right-wing back in Kiko Firmenia, replaced him with Mario Gaspar, who... Pff, don't know what was going through the heads with that one. So, yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Um, it's just with the context of this list, it doesn't seem like it's the worst 
window for me. Uh, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the next round of teams who we also think haven't had great windows, but not as bad as the teams we've just mentioned. Back to the second tier podcast, we're ranking the transfer windows of every single championship club. This is part one, and this is the second half of part one of this uh, rankings. So let's go to 18th, Justin. Who have we got? We've got Rotherham, and perhaps it seems a bit harsh, but on the face of it, they're just missing that key component in the final third for me, and that's and that's a forward who can, a, can who can put away chances. I think if, if if I was to get my Sky Sports commentator uh, hat on, I would say Connor Washington and Tom Eaves provide plenty of endeavour, but lack a fair bit of quality, which I think is quite a fair assessment of those two hardworking players, but not goal scorers. Um, but actually, I think keeping the likes of Ben Wiles, Daniel Barlasso, and Og Benny um, in a window where the likes of Hekwe uh, and Michael Smith left. I think has to be viewed as a major positive and perhaps more of a reason why they're higher up in this list than the players that they've actually brought in. Yeah, they've um, they've been pretty busy actually this yeah. summer, haven't they, Rotherham? From what I've seen, some of the new signings, they look pretty steady. None of them are household names, let's make that perfectly clear, but they've been good so far. Cameron Humphreys is probably the standout one. He's come from Belgium and has looked quite good and he's still a young lad as well they've got me on a three the two wing backs have been good too Karen Brammel's been knocking about in leagues one and two for a few years now but has made the step up to the championship quite well Brooke Norton Cuffey is a very young lad on loan from Arsenal who's looked very capable of playing at this level they've done all this while spending very little which is quite impressive um, in the second tier the only things I'd say is the players we mentioned aren't guaranteed successes and while they've played well so far they may not last throughout a whole season and those players I mentioned might end up just being fairly average we've only seen a a small sample size of them so far they also lost some key players who are big players in their promotion to the championship and that's why that knocks them down a few places in this list if they had a Michael Smith or a Hickway um, this summer uh, or this season rather then I think it'd be a very good window for Rotherham in fact and Going forwards, that's still a concern for me. Scoring goals, because of course, Ogbeni's been fantastic this season. Is that going to last over the next 36 games or so? Mm. Not too sure. And they've also relied on Richard Wood turning <laughs> into prime Alan Shearer. So yeah, it, there's, there's still plenty of question marks for me regarding Rotherham's transfer business and whether they needed just that bit more. But so far, without a doubt, it looks like it may be good enough to keep them up um, if these first few games of the season are anything to go by. Justin, who have we got in 17th? We've got Swansea. And again, I found them really hard to place because I think some of their business has been good. The likes of Nathan Wood, for example, I think has been absolutely fantastic this season. And it's one that I said at the weekend, I think Middlesbrough will regret selling him um, because I think he's going to progress Brilliantly. Harry Darling, I think, is a good signing. He's a very good ball-playing defender. Not quite adapted to the championship the way I thought he would. Um, probably perhaps needs a little bit more time. But for me, I just think they needed I think they needed around seven or eight players to come in. I, they didn't get that. Um, I think G- keeping Joel Perot and Michael Abafemi are, are big pluses. But I think the team is lacking um, additional quality 
uh, creatively. I think it's lacking depth at wing back. I think they need a, a big centre half who's also capable of playing with the ball at his feet, but also commanding in the air because they lose out to a lot of headers to opposition. Um, and I think that's a big weakness of theirs. And yeah, I just don't think it's 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 been a, as good a window as it as it should have been if we were to see Swansea progress higher up in the table this season. And unfortunately, I think that's going to hold them back as the season goes on. Well, on numerous occasions, Russell Martin's mentioned how finances are tight and that's meant they've had to be frugal with their business. And despite that, they have still been quite busy. Without mm-hmm. a doubt, the highlight of the window has to be keeping hold of Joel Pirro, who has really kicked on recently. Michael Obafemi as well is obviously a positive, even though he's annoyed quite a few Swansea fans uh, with that link to Burnley. In terms of who else has come in, um, Nathan Woods, as you say, Justin, has been playing a lot more than I expected, but has looked really good so far. Mm-hmm. That, without a doubt, been their best fight, best signing so far. Uh, would you, I'm guessing you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. He's been Swansea's best defender, most consistent defender anyway. Um, and as I say, he's he's he's, he's been a, a, um, a player who I did, just didn't expect to play as many games. And as I said, I think... I want to say they picked him up for less than a million pounds. Um, transfer market is very loose with its uh, uh, valuations, but we'll go with it for now. Um, but he's certainly going to be a player who's going to be worth 10, 15 million pounds if he carries on his development the way he is. But he was very highly rated at Middlesbrough, wasn't he? So I'm quite surprised that they got that they just let him go. Yeah. Um, but now he's playing regularly for Swansea and he's still very young. Mm-hmm. So... If he continues the development that we've seen from him so far, then he could end up being a massive, massive coup for them, couldn't he? Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's even more surprising when you think he's not really played at this level on a regular basis before. I think he, he was in Scotland before, wasn't he? But, yeah. I mean, in my view, <laughs> the Championship is much better than Scotland. So, um, so yeah, he, he's done really, really well. And Swansea, I think, despite them... Not having, you know, they're not splashed for cash, are they, at the moment. For them to go out there and get this guy and see how he's done so far, it could be a really, really impressive bit of business from them. Um, But looking elsewhere in the squad, Joe Allen's added experience in midfield. Sorinolo's a versatile player. Harry Darling's been a bit disappointing so far after joining from MK Dons. I had high expectations for him, but... Uh, he's been dropped already and mm-hmm. he could still come good, but, but I'm not too sure, apart from that screamer he scored on the first day of the season. Um, I haven't seen enough from him, really. Overall, I think Russell Martin would have definitely liked to have as, added a few more bodies to the squad. But I don't think it's been a bad window. I think they've got slightly better. It could have been a lot worse had they lost Piro mm. or Oberfemi. But I think it's been slightly better and it's just about you know Russell Martin instilling his belief, uh, his philosophy onto the players and that will be the main driving force for them this season. In 16th, Justin, we have QPR and QPR have signed more recognisable names than other teams in this list. I feel like that's boosted them up a bit here. Uh, Ethan Laird and Kenneth Parle have looked very good at Mm -hmm. right back and left back and are without a doubt the best bit of business from QPR over the summer so far. And it's quite funny, really, because the wing-backs, full-backs were what I would have called the main weakness in their team last season. They had Lee Wallace and Albert Adoma, who played most of their games there. Both are very solid pros, but are without a doubt past the best. That's not the case now, because Parle and Laird have looked great. 
haven't they? Both love getting up and down the flanks and give QPR so much width. And I've been really impressed with them, Justin. Yeah, Paul's a player that I wanted to, to pick out. I, as I say, I think completely agree with you. He's been absolutely superb. Um, it always There's always a little bit of apprehension when players come from the area to VC because it, they don't normally, they just take a bit longer to settle. But Paul has settled in very nicely and he's added a, a lovely dimension to that team for Michael Beale. Um, Ethan Laird, I think we all expected him to to do to do relatively well. Um, he looked really good for Swansea last season. Went to Bournemouth and Scott Parker almost derailed his career because he's Scott Parker. Um, but now he's he's um, he's coming to this team under Michael Beale and he's performing really really well. And so it's good to see him get some consistent game time. Um, and I think it's all been quite steady for for Michael Beale um, and, and QPR. Perhaps they're missing that number nine. Um, but overall, I think it's been a good window. I think Leon Balligan's a good signing, good experienced player, was really good for Wigan a couple of seasons ago. And Jake Clark's alter, I think we gave him a lot of praise in the summer. Uh, yeah, a balanced defender, um, or add balance to a, to a defence, left-footed, very hard to get, um, a good age as well. So I think it's been a good summer. Could have been a lot better, but certainly could have been a lot worse as well. Well, Clark's alter hasn't really played so far because I think he's been injured, but he could end up being a good signing. Tyler Roberts is the one you didn't mention there, Justin. You mentioned mm-hmm. them not signing a number nine. He's been asked to play that number nine role so far and I haven't been terribly terribly convinced with him so far, I've got to say. But yeah. he could come good, but I, I'm not too sure personally. I think Mick Beale would have been satisfied with this summer's work, but would have liked a few more additions, namely in defence, midfield and up front, just an extra body in each of those areas, mm-hmm. really. But it's not been a bad window, has it? They've got better. I'd say, and, yeah. and keeping hold of the likes of Chair and Willock, although I didn't see much strong interest in them anyway, um, was obviously key. So they've got slightly better, and that's the the bare minimum you'd expect from your club in the transfer window, isn't it? In 15th, we've got Reading. Now, most of Reading's best players so far have been their new signings. Of course, the headline is Tom Ince, who joined permanently after being on loan. He looks like he's Back to being somewhat near the Tomins of old. Mamadou Laum has impressed me in midfield. He's on loan from Porto and is a big beast in the middle of the park. Jeff Hendrick's been very steady midfield too. Baba Rahman's only just come in, but was good for them last season. I expect him to be very solid for them again this season. So if we're basing each team's transfer windows on how their new signings have done so far, they'd probably be higher in the window, Justin. But as we yeah. keep saying... It wouldn't surprise me to see Reading start sliding down the table at some point. So I don't want to get too carried away with their transfer business after just 10 games. Yeah, I think the main highlight for Reading is keeping the likes of Andy Eardham, Lucas Schell, McIntyre, Holmes. I think those staying are massive pluses because they, you know, Eardham could have gone in the summer, he signed a new deal. I can't remember if it was McIntyre or Holmes who signed a new deal, but they could have gone in the summer. Um, and there was very strong interest, obviously, last January in one of those two as well. And obviously, Lucas Schell. Lucas Schell, he's a... Uh, uh, he's a talisman, um, and again, any team wanting to chase for the playoffs should should throw a lot of money at Reading and try and try and convince them to part with him. But it's going to be very difficult uh, to do that. Um, but I think if you look at their transfer uh, restrictions and the players that they brought in on permanence, Naby Saw, Sam Hutchinson, um, even Tom Ince to an extent, I think they're very solid players. Um, but perhaps that reflect, reflects in their, their overall quality. Shane Long as well. Um, they may not have got another championship club. Maybe Naby Saw might have, but it would have been a struggle to see Hutchinson and Long end up elsewhere other than Reading. Um, but I think whilst the quality of player hasn't been brilliant, 
I think Paul Ince has recruited the right personalities, which I think goes a, a long way in the championship and a long way in Reading's predicament. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Of course, they also lost John Swift, Josh Laurent, Andy Rinomota. Yeah. And you could make a good argument that the squad's actually weaker than it was last season with those players in particular going. But so far, I think, going back to what you were saying about Paul Ince bringing in players that suit what he wants to do, I think he that ticks the box. That ticks the boxes with the, the players they brought in, doesn't it? Uh, the goalkeeper position is still a concern. I've never been convinced about Joe Lumley and I can almost guarantee that Rotherham game won't be the only occasion where he costs Reading points this season. I think Shane Long was more of a feel-good signing as opposed to one that actually adds anything to the squad. And Tyrese Fawn has looked all right in spells, but I'd need a bit more convincing about him. But overall, I'd say it's been a good window for Reading so far as the season goes on we may start to see a few creaks here or there with regards to squad depth and the actual quality that they've got. Who have we got 14th, Justin? We've got Stoke. And Stoke remind, reminded me of a club who, if you get a bit of extra budget on Football Manager and it's just like, oh, this player's available. Oh, this player's available. Um, and I just think the recruitment over the summer, whilst they brought in some really good individuals, it wasn't to benefit the squad or playing style or system. It was just because they were good individuals. And I think Michael O'Neill's got to take a lot of heat for that. And and as I say, the, the individuals they brought in are very good. But why did you need to bring in Tarek Fosu if you've got Wright Phillips, for example? Why did you need to bring in Gavin Kilkenny if you've got Lewis Baker? Um, it was just a bit scattergunny, um, a bit strange. You know, bringing in Dwight Gale and Liam Delap to add to um, Tyrese Campbell and Jacob Brown, again, quite strange. Um, and as I say, the individuals they've signed are very, very good, but I just don't think it's improved the squad as a whole. I don't think it's improved the squad or the system. I don't think it's been recruit. I don't think those players have been recruited to play a certain system. I just think it's been rec- they've been recruited because they're really good names, they're really good individuals, and we'll see where we can shoehorn them in. And unfortunately, that's why Stoke have looked a bit mishmash at times this season. And it's, I don't think they're going to pick up too much over the course of the season. And that's down to the lack of balance they've got throughout the squad. I can see what you mean, but I think I would disagree because on the face of it, for me, Stoke have had a very good transfer window. We just haven't really seen it yet, which is why I struggle to put them much higher in this list. Dwight Gale has an unbelievable scoring record at this level, but hasn't scored a goal yet. Liam Delaps regarded as one of the most exciting young players in this country but hasn't scored a goal yet. Josh Laron has been a key player for Reading in the last couple of years, but has been struggling with injury. I need to see more from Will Smallbone on loan from Southampton. Dijon Sterling, Harry Clark, Gavin Kilkenny all joined on loan too, but haven't really featured enough yet. And then Aidan Flint's Aidan Flint. Any one of those players couldn't end up being brilliant for Stoke this season, which is why we have them where they are, Justin. On paper, there's a lot of new signings here who could and possibly even should, be very good. We just need to see the proof of that mm-hmm. before we can put them any higher. But I think any team who gets you know, Dwight Gale and Liam Delap in, it's got to be regarded as a pretty decent window because as far as, you know, if you had to make a priority list of who you'd sign as strikers this summer, I think those two would be right up there. Yeah, they would be. They're good players, but I just, I don't think it's, I don't think the recruitment's been done with any semblance of um, where they want to be as a squad. If you look at um, 
if you look at Swansea, for example, it's a very obvious style of play. They wouldn't have gone for someone like Dwight Gale, maybe Liam Delap because he's a number nine, but someone like Dwight Gale, Dwight Gale, maybe not. So why why would Stoke go the same way in, in signing um, those two players to add to the already two very good forwards that they've got? Um, it just seems a waste of investment, which could have been put in other areas of the squad. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong to sign them. Um, I'm just saying it lacked foresight of what they actually needed. Fair enough. 13th, we have Bristol City. Now, you had Bristol City quite high in your list, Justin, and I could not agree with that at all, unfortunately. So why did you have them high in your list? I don't think you need to make too many additions to a squad to have a good transfer window. I think for starters, keeping the likes of Antoine Semenyo, Alex Scott, Andy Vyman is a major positive. They could have easily have attracted large bids and left because of how good they were last season, how um, how much of a prospect Alex Scott is. Um, Mark Sykes and Kane Wilson, I think, are good additions to the squad. It adds a fair bit of balance. I know we've not quite we're not quite seen Kane Wilson come into his own yet, but I think we will do it at some point. Mixed that with Cal Naismith. Um, and I think Nigel Pearson has identified key um, key problems with his squad and fixed them. Um, now, I know Cal Naismith has had up and down games this season, but overall, I think he has improved the side. Um, and I think they're a team that will improve over the course of the season. They had foundations of a good squad last season and they just needed a few more options to add to it. And they've done that. And that's why I've had them quite high. I would emphasise I haven't. I don't think Bristol City have had a bad window. I just don't think it's as good as Justin's build it has, to be honest. Um, Cal Smith was the big signing for them to try and plug up their leaky defence, wasn't it? It was an impressive signing, but they've conceded the second most goals so far this season. So will it solve their problems in the long term? I'm not sure. Mark Sykes is a midfielder who's been playing right wing back, which I wasn't expecting, but he's been handy so far, so I won't put that down as a negative. Kane Wilson's the other notable signing, but apart from that, that's basically it. They've kept Antoine Semenya as well, so I'm not saying it's been a bad window at all. I just won't go as far to say it's been better than 17 other teams, according to your list, Justin. Well, again, I disagree. I think they just needed little little bits adding here and there. And well, just, they, they just in that... You put them above Sheffield United. Yeah, and that's mainly down to Sheffield United just adding loan players, much like Blackpool to their squad, other than Ahmed, Ahmed Hozic. Um, they just added loan players, quite similar to, to, to Blackpool. Um, and if you've got Blackpool so low, then why why Sheffield United so high, for example? So for me, Bristol City adding those key components instead of team, those, those, those tiny little plugs that need a plugging in their side, they've added to that. They've improved the squad as a result of that um, and kept some key players in the meantime. I think it's a good window. But above Sheffield United? You're saying Ahmed Dozovic is not as good a signing for Sheffield United as Cal Naismith is for Bristol City? I think they are... I think think signing Cal Naismith was more important for Bristol City than Sheffield United signing um, Ahmed Hozic. But but Ahmed Hozic has had a much better impact for them than Cal Naismith has as for Bristol City. Yes, but Cal Naismith was brought in to do a certain type of job, i.e. help them play the ball out from the back for starters, add experience. And I know you mentioned the defensive record, but that's many away from home. At home, they've got a very good defensive record. So it is helping Still the second most goals in the division. Yeah, overall. But you can see the um, the shining 
light at the end of the tunnel for them. They are improving. They are a side getting better. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not going backwards. And as I say, Sheffield uh, United have got a fair bit more money to to hand than than Bristol City had. Um, so I think Bristol City operated a lot more shrewdly than than Sheffield United did. I don't think that makes any sense at all. We'll leave it there. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Football League World is reporting Shota Arvaladze is likely to be sacked by Hull. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. There hasn't been an announcement yet, so it will almost definitely happen after we finish recording. But that's how podcasts work, unfortunately. I was saying on Justin, uh, saying on Sunday, Justin, I wouldn't be surprised if he got sacked during this international break. Would you? Unfortunately not. Um, I wanted to give Arvaladze the benefit of the doubt because I thought last season they were sparks of life there um, and I I think with the transfer business they did in the summer I just think that's added a lot of pressure to Arvaladze to hit the ground running which I don't think is particularly fair because it's been a complete overhaul of their squad I think it was 17 or 18 new signings and I think if you've got that many signings it's going to take a lot longer than 10 games to get them going but alarmingly they're conceding too many chances and too many goals which unfortunately probably will justify sacking I well, the bottom line for me, Justin, is this. If Grant McCann never got sacked, it seemed a very strange decision at the time, but if he never got sacked, do we really think Hull would be doing any worse than they're doing now? I don't yeah. think they would be, to be honest, because he looked like he finally turned the corner with Hull and was getting him in the right direction. I see what you mean about them signing 17 new players. Of course, when you sign all those players, it is going to take a long time to bed them in. But at the same time, the players they brought in a lot of them are very good players who should be taking Hull to that next level. And at the moment, it doesn't look like Hull are at that next level. So, unfortunately, it wouldn't be a surprise for Arvaladi to get sacked for me. Defensively, they've been a shambles this season. Absolute mm. mess. And this wasn't as much of a problem last season. And maybe they should have signed more defenders in the summer. I don't know. But overall, you've got to say that Arvaladi hasn't really plugged that problem and it seems to be getting worse as the games have gone on this season so they had a great start and now it all seems to have gone to pot very quickly and when you're the manager of this revolution that's happening happening at Hull the pressure's always going to be on and as soon as things start to look like they're going on the Y then things have you're going to be under pressure and yeah. I think Avaladzi will be quite lucky actually if he were to keep his job past um, this international break um, just because they have looked really, really poor recently of Hull. Speaking of Hull, they've confirmed Chairman Akon Ilikali was involved in a crash in Istanbul on Monday. The 53-year-old suffered a broken arm and will now undergo surgery to maintain a full recovery, so we wish him all the best. A man has been banned from attending football games for three years after making racist slurs at a championship match. 62-year-old Harold Bowden was heard repeatedly making racist remarks during Blackpool's game at home to Stoke in November last year. He made the comments as players took the knee before kickoff, And then finally, Carlos Corbran has been sacked as manager of Olympiacos. It comes just two months after he left Huddersfield, so it's ended up being a bad move for everyone involved that, hasn't it? You can argue that he got paid for a six-week-long holiday in Greece, maybe. Yeah, sounds good to me, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Mick McCarthy had something similar in Cyprus, didn't he? Um, it's unfortunate, uh, and perhaps it was probably a step too far for him too soon. Um, 
would I expect him to see him in the championship anytime soon though? Maybe, but I can't see it. Maybe back at Huddersfield. <laughs> Doubt that. <laughs> you, you never know. <laughs> right, now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and all we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week it's my turn to guess with the scores 27-21 to Justin Peach. Justin, I'm ready for the first one. I'm ready to go, baby. Paul Robinson and Bolton Wanderers. <laughs> Which one? That's the roulette of the game. No, which that's Paul Robinson. You've got to tell me which one it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the left-footed angry one. The defender. Yeah, there's two defenders. Yeah, he, he's, he's played for Bolton. Are you sure about that? Yeah. You're very confident. Yeah, because I know he did. Okay, well, yeah, 10 appearances in 2010. Yeah. I thought you meant, I thought he played more games than that. No, just 10 appearances. This is why I didn't want to give away which Paul Robinson it was. <laughs> You've got to tell me. <laughs> Next one. Yes, please. Dealey Adibola and Burnley. I think Dealey Adibola should be one of those players banned from this because he has played <laughs> for so many clubs, it's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, I reckon he did. Three appearances on loan in 2004. Yeah, I... Don't have any recollection of it, but he's just played for so many that there's a 50 50 chance. No, it's a good shout, actually. Next one is Neil Dant and Preston. Um, hmm. Neil Dant is one of those who's had a bit of a career that's passed me by a bit. I'd say no. Are you sure about that? No. Spent a lot of time. Spent a lot of time in the Northwest. No, I, I, I don't think so. Well, you'd be correct. He did Probably. not. Three out of three? This is going very David, smoothly. David Healy in Norwich. Ooh. That's an interesting one. Because obviously he was at Preston in his peak Healy years before that infamous move to Fulham. I don't think so, but I'm not saying that with much confidence. So what's your answer? I'm going to say he didn't. You'd be incorrect. I did I did have something in the back of my mind saying that he did, but I didn't listen to it. I went with my yeah. gut. Two spells on loan in 2003, 13 appearances. Oh, okay, so that was before Preston, wasn't it? That was while he was at Preston, I think. Oh, okay, maybe. fair enough. Next one is Scott Carson, Sheffield Wednesday. This would have been when he was on loan from Liverpool, being shopped all over the place. But my first instinct was yes. He went to Villa, didn't he, in Charlton? Are you sure about Wednesday? I think so. You don't, you don't have to keep doing these mind games just in every single time. Because I'm not well, going to change my answer. Okay, then. Well, you'd be correct. Ten appearances on loan in 2006. Yeah, that, did, that rang a bell with me, that one did. Next one. Is Jacob Butterfield and Rotherham. I've got four out of five, by the way. Um, I th- um, see, you've thrown that one in there because Jacob Butterfield basically spent his whole career in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. And my first instinct is that he did. 
but I'm struggling to say when it happened. Plus, Rotherham are one of those clubs who have just signed a lot of random players over the years. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go against my instincts on this one and say that he did. Why would you say, oh, you don't need to play mind games? I'm just going to go with my first answer. No, because I've I've, put my, I've entered my answer now, and now I'm not going to change it is what I meant. Are you going to change it? No. Fine, you'd be correct. He did not play for Rotherham. I'm incorrect. You you are... Wait, what did you say? I said he did. Oh, right, yeah, you are incorrect. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> that really confused me, then. Um, Wait, four I, was trying six. To, I was trying to bend your answer to the correct one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, four out of six, Justin. Next one is Dion Dublin and Millwall. Um, Dion Dublin was a bit before my time, so... I wouldn't be able to list off Dion Dublin's clubs, unfortunately. I'd say no. I don't think he ever ventured towards London, but I might be wrong. Well, he did. He had five appearances on loan in 2002. <sighs> That's annoying. Okay. Four and out of seven. That is correct. Yes, four out of seven. Dion Dublin, home's under the hammer, everybody. Really good presenter. Just putting that out there. Who expected that, eh? <laughs> Next one is David McGoldrick and Bournemouth. No. 12 appearances on loan in 2007. Who is, who is he at? Permanent? He was at... Where was he actually? Is it Forest? I think he was at Forest, yeah. Wow. That completely but passed me by, fair enough. He had a lot of loan spells and his goal record is very, very good. I don't know yeah, if it's got Wikipedia is loose, but his goal record is incredible. Underrated player, David Goldrick. He is. Um, four out of eight, which yeah, isn't been... great. Mm. You've I got need two to take left. my time more. Yeah. Next one is a good one. It's Lee Camp at Stoke City. Oh, God, Lee Camp. <laughs> Who hasn't he played for? <laughs> I'd say no. You'd be correct. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd have remembered if he played for... Stoke. So that means I've got five out of nine, if my note-taking is correct. This is my chance to level it up. Lukas Djokovic and Huddersfield Town. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. This is my new approach yeah. now. For future reference, I'm just going to go straight in as soon as you say it. Fair enough. Well, you'd be correct. It's a good approach. He had seven yep. appearances on loan in 2009. That means it's 27-27. That wasn't a great round for me. Start I, I, well. I started well and then had a flat bit in the middle and then managed to pick it up towards the end. So it could have been better, but I, I'm not particularly happy with that, Justin. I think, in fact, I think six may be the lowest score we've had so far. I know, because I got six last week. I think you got seven last week. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Who, who really cares? <laughs> that means the score for the season is 27-27 and it's Justin's turn to guess next week. So this has been our roundup, well part one of our transfer window rankings. Congratulations if your side hasn't featured on this list already. We'll be bringing you our top 12 in Sunday's episode. So we look forward to seeing you then. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.